Hello everybody and welcome back to the SASLP podcast. This is our final session on motor speech disorders and today we will be discussing intervention. Thank you so much for tuning in and a warm final welcome to Anissa Musa who will be concluding this series on MSTs with us today. Thank you Zakia. I can't believe it's the final session. Yes, that went by way too quickly. Okay, so today we are going to get into management. Anissa, where would you like to begin? Okay, so before we get into intervention of each MST specifically, I thought we could go through some general treatment goals, principles and considerations that apply to both dysarthria and apraxia of speech. Amazing. So I can start us off with the general goals. We know that the ICF framework by the World Health Organization underpins all that we do with assessment and treatment. I don't think we need to talk much about it because I'm sure you've heard enough times, but that's because it really is integral to how we approach assessment and treatment. With that, the primary goal of treatment based on the ICF is to help the individual achieve the ability to function independently and participate in activities of daily living. Exactly. That is our key goal that should always be kept in the back of our mind. In addition, with this type of intervention, we are looking to address weakness that affect communication and therefore participation and capitalize on the individual's strength. And we want to modify any contextual barriers that may be influencing communication and participation. In relation to MSDs, this may include using appropriate accommodations such as AAC. Yes, and now some quick factors that may influence your treatment. So each individual's specific communication needs, their motivation to communicate, and the presence of other deficits can affect treatment. So this is just another list of considerations to have in the back of your mind when you're planning your management. I would also add cultural considerations. These include how disability is viewed by the patient and community, their health-seeking behaviours and the appropriateness of therapy materials. It's also important to consider the language or languages spoken by the patient and to make decisions about which language to use in collaboration with the patient. These considerations are particularly important within our context. Now that we've gone over some of the basics, we are going to talk about dysarthria and apraxia treatment individually, and we will use a case example for each one to illustrate how to set functional goals in alignment with the ICF. Remember that this podcast is an overview of intervention for MSTs, and while we do aim to be comprehensive, it is not possible for us to explain all management options in detail. So please do some reading of your own as well, and we will share resources for you in the description. Good point. Right, so with dysarthria, you can use a restorative or compensatory approach and each one has a different focus. Restorative approaches aim to improve speech intelligibility, naturalness and prosody of speech and efficiency of speech, whereas compensatory approaches aim to improve comprehensibility through increasing use of communication strategies, improving listener skills and altering the communication environment. This also includes using AAC devices. Sekia, can you tell us when we would use each approach? Sure. So as we always say, it depends on the patient. Each patient is individual and has different needs and a different presentation. Treatment does not have to always be restorative or always compensatory. Um, You can mix the two approaches and use an eclectic approach. Good. So now we can talk about the treatment options available for dysarthria. 
As Zakia mentioned, we cannot talk about all the options or explain their execution in detail, but we can give you an overview and some explanation and information that will hopefully be very useful. Mm -hmm. So choosing a treatment option depends on a number of factors, such as the severity of the disorder, the prognosis and natural history, the perceptual speech characteristics of the individual, their specific communication needs, presence of any comorbidities, and the preferences of the patient and their family or caregivers. Exactly. Also, treatment options can overlap and target more than one area at a time, but you may also need to sequence treatment for maximum benefit. benefit. For example, velopharyngeal dysfunction must be treated before respiration and phonation. With that being said, treatment can target speech production subsystems such as respiration, phonation, articulation, resonance, and prosody. Anissa, could you share some methods on how to treat these subsystems? Of course. For respiration, you could improve breath support via postural adjustments or teach preparatory inhalation, which involves taking a deep breath before beginning a speech or utterance, or you could even use non-speech tasks to improve respiratory support and air pressure such as blowing through a straw into a water glass. With phonation, you could improve timing like when to initiate phonation and use effort closure techniques to increase the strength of the vocal cords. This looks like pulling upward on a chair seat, squeezing the palms together. Right, and with articulation, is it similar to articulation therapy in peds? Sometimes it can be. We use phonetic placement techniques to target positioning of the articulators, which is something we do in peds. We also do intelligibility drills, exaggerated articulation for emphasis and minimal pace contrast. Thank you. So with resonance, we can do resistance training during speech using continuous positive air pressure or other options are prosthetics in collaboration with other healthcare workers like dentists. For prosody, a lot of it can be done in conjunction with respiration, where we increase awareness of respiration and ability to control it. Another common treatment is to use contrastive stress tasks to help improve prosody. So you would read sentences with stress on different words to emphasize them. Yes, exactly. So those are some common treatment methods we use. Other options that are more compensatory include communication strategies, environmental modifications, and AAC. Communication strategies can be used by the patient and their communication partners, and these can be used before, during, and after other treatment approaches to compensate for any deficits. That's what I like about these. They can help the patient communicate more successfully without the need for intensive therapy or while other therapy approaches are ongoing. So for the individual, this can look like maintaining eye contact, pointing or gesturing, using conversational repair strategies or looking for signs of being misunderstood. And for the communication partner, being an active listener, asking questions to clarify, giving feedback and maintaining eye contact as well. Environmental modifications involve reducing background noise, ensuring good lighting and using face-to-face -face seating. Right, and then we have the AAC option. So we don't have time to talk about AAC in explicit detail, but we have included a link to ASHA's AAC practice portal, which has lots of information about AAC, including key issues and resources that you can use. So now let's get into an intervention for apraxia of speech. With apraxia of speech, our treatment aims to facilitate efficiency, 
effectiveness and naturalness of communication through improving speech production and intelligibility and using AAC, including gestures, signs, electronic speech output devices, and context-specific communication boards. Yes, so there are two main treatment options, and it's important to note that barriers to successful communication and participation can be minimized for patients with apraxia, and there are various methods to do this. So you can modify the environment, um, inform communication partners about the patient's communication needs and their preferred methods of communication, and encouraging the patient to use methods to repair communication breakdowns. Yes, exactly. So we need to assist with removing those barriers. In relation to apraxia of speech, we must also take into account the following treatment considerations. The client must have autonomy and treatment should include meaningful stimuli selected by the client and tasks should be graded based on stimulability. And this links to using a hierarchy when selecting target stimuli to promote success. So we would typically start at the syllable level and then move up to conversational speech. And the final consideration is providing feedback to the client that is frequent and specific because this has been proven to enhance learning. Again, with apraxia, approaches can be restorative or compensatory, or the goal may be to maintain speech functioning if it is progressive. Restorative approaches aim to improve speech production and intelligibility through re-establishment of motor plans and improving the ability to select and activate motor programs in specific situations. These include sensory cueing, rate and rhythm control approaches or combinations of each. Approaches used for compensation focus on teaching strategies to compensate for the apraxia or using external aids that are personalized to the client, such as writing, gestures, or drawing to communicate. We have put a, a link below that explains the steps of these approaches in more detail. Now, before we wrap up this podcast series, let us briefly discuss intervention goals of two hypothetical cases, one relating to dysarthria and the other with regards to apraxia. This will give you an idea of functional goal setting for MSDs. Firstly, we have Mrs. P, who is a 56-year-old female diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and hypokinetic dysarthria. She has poor respiratory support and her husband reports increased social isolation from frequent breakdowns in communication resulting from reduced speech intelligibility. She is unable to communicate well in the presence of background noise. So looking at functional goals for Mrs. P, a long-term goal could be that without external cues, Mrs. P will use functional communication skills for social interactions with both familiar and unfamiliar partners. And in order to achieve that goal, you would use short-term goals. Um, this can be something like with moderate verbal cues from her communication partners, Mrs. P will increase respiratory support to produce intelligible phrase-level utterances. Or, without cues, Mrs. P will consistently initiate requests for appropriate environmental modifications, such as reducing background noise, to improve her communicative effectiveness. So this is just one example of how you would set goals that are functional for the client. Next, Mr. Z is 64 years old and has moderate to severe apraxia of speech with Broca's aphasia. His comorbid chronic health conditions include a history of left CVA two and a half years ago, right hemiparesis, and hypertension. 
His difficulties include engaging in conversations with doctors relating to his medical needs and his daughter reports difficulty understanding his attempts to communicate needs at home. He also lacks confidence in communication with familiar and unfamiliar speakers. So, a long-term functional goal for Mr. Zed. Mr. Zed will initiate communicative turns to participate in at least two community-based activities of choice using customized scripts and gestures, as well as thematic vocabulary and picture lists with 90% success as measured by self and partner. Short-term goals for Mr. Zed. Mr. Zed will utilize 25 self-identified high-frequency words via verbal or non-verbal methods with 90% consistency to improve communicative success when indicating home, community, medical needs with familiar and unfamiliar speakers. So looking at these cases, you can also think about any other factors you would need to consider and treatment considerations you would make in relation to MSTs and what we talked about earlier. Um, we know that we've given you a lot to think about in this episode and it's been a bit of an information overload, but we wanted to give as much as we can in this treatment episode. Um, with that, we have come to the end of the podcast series on MSTs. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you for tuning in each week. We hope you gain something valuable. We have had a wonderful time hosting and a huge thank you to Anissa for taking the time to share her expertise with us. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to future episodes of the show. It's my absolute pleasure. As always, please remember to check the description for links to important resources and answer the Google Doc MCQs to earn your CPD points for this episode. Thank you again for tuning into this series. Make sure to subscribe so you get a notification when our new series goes live. Bye for now.